thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. Have you ever wondered how an airline pilot stays healthy whilst flying 24-7? Well, if you have, then you're going to absolutely love this podcast. As a former airline employee myself, I'm really excited to have Jess Toghill as our guest speaker today, who is a commercial airline pilot based in Brisbane. Jess has been a pilot for 20 years and is currently a first officer for Qantas, where she operates the Boeing 737 jet aircraft. Not only does she fly around the country 24-7, but Jess's other passion is cycling, where she's competed and won in national cycling events, such as the National Road Series, which for those of us who are unfamiliar with this event, it's the equivalent of the NRL or AFL for cycling, along with an array of other open races and various state championships. So to talk further about how an airline pilot stays healthy whilst working 24-7, I'd like to give a warm, healthy shift worker welcome to Jess. Welcome. Hi. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you um, here, Jess, and I'm particularly on your day off, and I'm really grateful because I know your push bike is probably calling out to you right now, yes. and you want to go for a ride. There you go. But instead, you're here with me talking on this podcast, so I, I really do appreciate That's it. That's okay. <laughs> So what I'm actually looking forward um, to chatting to you about is because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are curious how, as a commercial airline pilot, you manage the fatigue side of things, Jess, which I guess goes hand in hand with working 24-7. Yes. And your career in particular comes with heavy responsibilities as the lives of all of the passengers and crew are in your hands. Yeah. Mm, But I'd like to point out that Results from a recent annual survey of the world's biggest airlines has seen Qantas named the world's safest airline for in the third year running, which yeah. is a pretty phenomenal achievement and no doubt something that you feel <clears throat> proud of. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's exciting. I, when I read that, I went, wow, that's, yeah. That's... Yeah, I think we won it three years in a row, but um, we've won it numerous amounts of times beforehand as well. So we've always been in the top five at least. So it's always, yeah, it's proud to be part of a company like that. Mm. That takes pride in its safety before anything else. Yeah. Okay. I, w- I wasn't aware of that, but yeah, that's yeah better still. Fantastic. <laughs> so to kick off the interview, I guess, um, Jess, I'd like to hear how you got started in aviation, how you first got started. Are you one of these people that got their pilot's license before their driver's license? Yeah, it's about the same time, actually. I got the bug. Um, my dad was in the army and we traveled around the world when I was four and, around four or five. And um, it was the good old golden years of aviation when people were actually allowed up into the flight deck during the flight. So I think it must have been about five when um, I went up to the flight deck of a 747 on the way to Europe. And I think ever since then, that was when I decided, that's it, I'm, I'm going to be a pilot. So, um, wow. Yeah. And then um, you obviously work towards that, towards school. But I got my license. I, pay, I saved some money and paid for my license when I was 17. And um, sort of went from there, really. Wow. And so you actually obviously did your hours, I suppose, as they call it, by flying out bush and things like that in the little planes? How does that all work? Yeah. So um, I got my license. uh, I was living in Canberra at the time, so I paid for my license. 
um, in Canberra and got some some flying, just yeah, just some casual flying around Canberra. And then I actually did a course in Tamworth, uh, which was a little over a year course to get your commercial license up. And then, um, and then I got a job at a, a regional airline. It, it was Flight West at the time. They're no longer around, but Flight West out of um, Brisbane. And we did rural Queensland, uh, Birdsville, Mount Isa, all those little places. Um, and yeah, I did that for about four years before I got into the airlines. Okay. Very good. I didn't. I'm mm. from Tamworth, actually. I was born in Tamworth. Oh, right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was out at the, the, the airport there. Yeah. Oh, very good. And so yes. what sort of aircraft were you flying with Flight West? Um, I was on a jet stream, which is about a night, well, it is a 19-seater aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and we generally did, um, what did we do, Harvey Bay, Bundaberg. I'm going back a little bit now, so I'm trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, on the East Coast, and then we'd go out Charleville, Coolpit, Windora, Birdsville, all those places out to Mount Isa. Um, and up north, Richmond, Julia Creek. So, all, yeah, all rural Queensland, uh, you know, 46, 47 degrees, Oof, throwing wow. the bags yourself, the flies. Yeah, yeah. so it was, a, it was a real apprenticeship. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it was good fun at the time too. You know, we really enjoyed it. Oh, so I guess you don't do that anymore. You don't load the baggage as well as uh, fly the planes. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'd break a nail. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's hilarious. Um, and is that where you went from Flight West to uh, ANSET? I did, yes. Okay. Oh, you've been speaking to someone. ANSET, yeah. I went to ANSET um, briefly. Um, uh, under a year. It's probably about six months and obviously ANSET folded in um, 2001. Mm. Um, so obviously we all lost our jobs. I know you're with ANSET as well. So we all lost our jobs. And then I got a job uh, within a month um, into Qantas. Actually, I was one of the lucky ones to get a, a job pretty quickly into Qantas. Qantas was expanding at the time. And obviously ANSET left a left a hole. And uh, mm. yeah, so luckily enough to get straight into Qantas. Mm. Oh, extremely lucky. That's because yeah. I think um, I think there was sixteen thousand. I mean, I'm an ex-Anset person myself. Yeah. I think it was about sixteen thousand people that lost their jobs when ANSET collapsed. I don't know how many of those uh, were, were uh, you know pilot roles. Yeah, um, I think we, I think there was about oh God, I can't even recall. I think it's about six or seven hundred pilots. Mm. Um, a lot of guys went overseas, but yep. a few lucky ones got into Qantas and got to stay in Australia, which was good. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's extremely lucky. You must have done something right there, so well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won lotto, I think. Yeah. Oh, big time. Big, big, big time. <laughs> so can you explain to us um, what a, uh, a day in the life of a commercial air- airline pilot looks like? You know, what do you do? What sort of rosters you work? Um, yeah. Sure. It's um, it's vastly different between international and, com- and uh, domestic, so I mean, I'll I'll explain a bit domestically because that's what I've been doing for the last nine years. So um, we get about we get 28 day rosters, and we work about 19 to 20 days of those 28. So so basically two days off a week, um, and we've got rotating seniority systems. So you get to bid for what flights you want to do when you're senior and when you're junior. You obviously do the flights that no one really wants to do, which generally involves the red eye back from Perth or um, a 3am start in Canberra or something like that. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so you, you can you can build your roster when you're senior, but if not, then you just do what you're told, basically. 
Um, and um, so, for example, if I had a um, 5 a.m. departure from Melbourne, I'd have to be at work an hour before, so 4 a.m. Um, luckily, I live pretty close to the airport, 10-minute um, drive, so I can set my alarm and be ready and at the airport within 40 minutes, so I'm pretty lucky. But there are other, others live up and down the coast, so they've got two or three hours to get up before they go to work. Mm. Um, yeah, which which is um, adds obviously... Adds to the flight. That's day. it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, so I'm lucky enough, 40, 40 minutes before I can get to work, and then an hour before we depart, um, we're at work doing flight planning, ordering fuel and, and checking NOTAMs, which is... Um, uh, basically information on the flight route, if there's anything, um, any information at aerodromes on the way that we need to know about, if there's a, a navigation laid out, they'll be there too. So we, we've got to read through those and then we order the fuel appropriately for the flight. Um, and then obviously um, once we get into the plane, then we, we set that up, um, probably takes about 25 minutes to set the plane up, passengers are coming on at the same time and hopefully all things running well. Um, passengers are on when it's um, departure time and we can push back and get going on time. Um, and then I guess once we're back, like I'll do a Melbourne, uh, about a 40 minute turnaround in Melbourne, get passengers off, get passengers on, do the same thing, set the plane up, come back to Brisbane. And um, once the passengers are off, basically, um, set the plane up for the next guys or if it's at night time we shut the plane down turn everything off and um, and we get to go home mm, okay so, so you don't do any international leg at all because like, I know that you, you fly the 737 yeah, aircraft that's a domestic only it's we do uh, we used to do quite a few international destinations at the moment out of Brisbane um, we do Numea, um, which is hardly international it's less Less time to New Year than it is to Cairns. Um, we do. We have started doing some New Zealand flights again, and some of the other bases do Singapore. But yeah, just just regional, international stuff. Nothing too exciting. Um, but for me, um, uh, to fit in with school pickup and, and the kids, etc., I tend to try and do uh, Melbourne returns or Cairns returns when I'm senior enough. Anyway, to mm. um, to start work at six and finish at half past 12 and then I can and then I can get some training in and then pick the kids up but I'm, I'm sure we'll go on to that later on <laughs> <laughs> so you've yeah you've managed to kind of work it well so you don't um I, I guess you're you would be quite senior at this point in time so you're, you're not having to do too many overnighters or red eyes back from Perth as you said 3am starts so you've yeah. kind of you've managed to because you've been there for so long yeah, um, well, um, domestically or short haul, we actually have a rotating seniority system. So it doesn't matter how senior you are within the company. Uh, every 14 months, you'll rotate around from being senior to junior. So it shares the the, ah. the, tri the trips around. So okay. um, unfortunately, you're right. I am quite senior, but I'll do junior trips when I'm down the bottom. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but in saying that, uh, there are times, obviously, when I do get the pick of the bunch and I can work um, two to three days a week and uh, have the rest of the week off. So, yeah, good with the bad. Yeah. But, yeah, you just got to manage it as, as your roster comes out. 
Nice, nice. And and you obviously have to undergo regular training, which um, I guess one part of it is a simulator training. Yes. Can you tell us? Oh, can you tell us about that? Yes, yes. I've just done my last one. Okay. Um, yeah. Your last it's... one. What do you mean by your last one? Oh well, I've just I just had one. I should say um, yep. last week. Um, yeah, I hope it's not my last one. Um, <laughs> yeah, so every six months we do, it's a, a, a recurrent simulator program. Um, so every six months we do, uh, in short haul, we do one simulator and then alternate, alternating six months we do two simulators, so two days of sims, which basically um, involves uh, failures, managing problems, um, engine fires, landing, flying around with one engine, depressurizations, basically everything um, that could go wrong does go wrong. Um, and that's, I guess, a reason why uh, Qantas has such a really good safety record because we do put all our pilots through everything that, that can and sometimes does go wrong. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that puts us, our minds to rest anyway for us that are sitting in the back there. Yeah. No, you, no, you guys at the front know what you're doing. Uh, it's an incredibly stressful few weeks before. Um, okay. And I, and I do enjoy a drink after. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or two, maybe. Just yeah, maybe two. Maybe yeah. two. <laughs> so you know, you, you know you pass, obviously, straight away. They tell you that you pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So if you don't, then you've got to stay around and do some more training. Okay. Um, it, it does get pretty serious if you don't. Yeah. If you don't do well. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. But I mean, that's a good thing. So it is, yeah. it is for the passengers. That's a good thing. Absolutely. Mm, very good. So, um, as a result of the, your continual sleep deprivation and your disruption to your sleep wake cycles, fatigue and tiredness definitely forms a part of our career and you'd be very, yeah. very familiar with that. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah. <laughs> um, in particular, our cognitive function, which includes our ability to remain <clears throat> alert, to remember things, to concentrate and make decisions. So, yeah. and obviously these things are so incredibly important when you're flying an aircraft. Yeah. Um, no doubt Qantas puts their pilots through some kind of fatigue management program, but would you mind explaining a little bit, bit more about this and, and what you do personally to help overcome some of these effects? Okay, well, basically, Corner says um, if you are fatigued, don't fly, and th- and that's and that's pretty much the policy. Okay. Um, and and they're quite happy for you to um, call in on well for work due to fatigue. Um, however, that, that doesn't take away from the responsibilities of managing your own fatigue. Um, you know, if you're out having a party or not, and then go to work, you know, then that's not going to be seen terribly well. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, um, it's not. As bad domestically because we don't do a lot of the through um, back of the clock. Fly. Oh, we do, but not not as much as internationally. Internationals mm. all back of the clock flying. Mm. Um, so it's easier to manage domestically. Um, but as as far as fatigue management goes, you just got to make sure that you get a good night's sleep beforehand. Um, and there are systems in place to um, help you with the cognitive part of it when you are fatigued uh, we, we have things like um well obviously repetition um, briefings we sit there and we chat about exactly what we're going to do in case something does go wrong so that you don't have to think about it when it does happen you already have a plan in place oh okay just before you're, you're about to take off before you take off before okay. you do it before you do a, a landing as well when you approach because oh. quite often during cruise you you're you're, you're quite low in, in the cycle as well so it's yeah. it's it's good to get a a um a shared mental model of what's going to happen, what um, the pilot flying is going to do, so that if you do miss something, then the other guy's going to pick it up 
So basically, it's it's it just helps when your cognitive thinking is not quite as up to scratch. Um, and there are other things like standard operating procedures, things that we do the same every time we fly, mm. um, the correct way to do things. Um, of course, that helps when you're tired. And if you are really tired while you're flying, get up, stand up, have a walk around, get the blood flowing. It is a bit harder these days now that um, after the aero wings, I think it was, where that uh, first officer crashed the plane, we actually need two people in the flight deck at all times. So if you need to go to the toilet, it's not quite as easy as it used to be. 12 months ago, you've got to get a, a flight attendant in to sit there and monitor. Oh, right. So okay. it's harder to get out and go to the loo, but you yeah. still can stand up and get the blood flowing and mm. rather than just sitting in the plane staring out the window, falling asleep. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah no, 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 don't give us that no, picture, please. <laughs> no, but there, are, there, there, there is a policy in place on longer flights to have what we call controlled rest, uh, where one pilot does have a sleep for a while or the other one does everything, monitors. Um, it's only in crews and not for an extended period of time, but just say 20 minutes just to get um, refreshed. And it does, they have proven that rather than trying to stay awake, that 20 minutes of sleep actually does improve uh, performance. So mm. uh, I'd, I'd say that's very rare, but we do on occasions have a little nap to mm. help yeah. when, when the workload does get higher. Well, I mean, there's so much research out there. I do um, a fair bit of um, research on, yeah. on 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 the benefits of napping and yeah. you know the length of napping and so forth, so you don't go too deep into sleep. That's but, it. Yeah. But um, it's yeah, it's definitely been shown to improve that cognitive function just yeah. between you know 20 minutes. I think um, is the that's ideal. It. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say everyone do it at their desk at work, but <laughs> oh, are you sure? <laughs> I think there'd be quite a few people listening to this podcast that would love that idea. I won't be held responsible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So, um, I guess, yeah, it obviously takes its toll on our our health and well being. Working these mm. sort of crazy hours. Do you live on coffee, energy drinks? Um, you know, do you watch what to what you eat? I mean, I'll yeah. to be. You can be totally, perfectly honest. There's going to be no judgment, I promise. <laughs> From a nutritional medicine student, I honestly, I promise I'll, I'm not going to be judging, but I'm just intrigued. <laughs> uh, to tell you the truth, I need a coffee in the morning. I really do. And yeah. I've got this little system set up where I'll make, I've got a coffee machine at home, so I'll make a coffee and put it in the thermos and I'll drink it on the way to work. Ah, um, yeah. yeah, So, but once I'm there, I'll, I'll probably only have one or two coffees, two maximum um, and only in the morning. Um, other than that, I'll try to stay awake from uh, stay away from energy drinks, just um, with the stuff that they put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and eating wise, it it depends how much I'm training. Luckily, being an elite cyclist gives you the ability to eat whatever you want. Mm. <laughs> um, however, I don't go eating KFC. I hate fatty food um yeah. I, I do if i have been riding a lot I, I i will have a burger um i try to switch out chips with sweet potato fries just to you know basically um fuel my body correctly mm-hmm. um however I'd, i would be lying if i said i watched exactly what i eat i don't have kale smoothies or <laughs> or, or anything that looks green uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, yeah, I don't eat 
garbage food, I have to say. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of try and stick to just eating whole foods, really? Yeah, just the non-processed yeah. Non-pro- exactly, yeah. non-processed stuff. Exactly, non-processed. Stay away from soft drinks. I do. I will say I do have Coke when I am training um, just for the energy and um, some sodium. But other than that, I'll stay clear of soft drink. So mm. I do love coconut water. Um, the jury is out on the benefits of coconut water. I don't care about that. I actually like the taste of it. Um, and it is better than drinking Coke and juices, surprisingly. Oh. Juice has a lot of sugar in it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of um, coconut water too because I do a lot of yoga and it's oh, just yeah. so refreshing. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So that's basically and then And then I try and drink a lot of water too, especially at work. I try to drink a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, altitude... Um, really um, dry air, it tends to dehydrate you quite a bit too. And plus, if I've just trained in the morning, I'll tend to be a little bit dehydrated going into work anyway. So I'll try to always, and just sip water rather than drink too much of it. Yeah. Give the body a chance to absorb it rather than sit in your stomach and then pass through your system. So that's basically it really. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of, of going on diets and trying to eat um, paying too much attention with, with the exact calories that I'm putting in. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's kind of good. It takes the stress away from it, isn't it? It's just about yeah. eating, you know, eating normal, you know, whole foods as opposed to getting too obsessed about calorie counting. And, and, exactly. and as you said, um, you know, I, I'm, I, as I said, I mentioned before, I mean, I'm even studying nutrition, but at the same time, I definitely wouldn't call myself a green smoothie, chia, seed, <laughs> fancy flower person at all. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just not. I'm, I'm a bit of a realist with stuff. And, yeah. you know, unless, you know, unless there's a particular condition that someone's, Absolutely. you know, experiencing, well, that's a whole different kettle of fish. But, exactly. you know, for your everyday kind of um, person that's quite healthy, um, yeah, I'm a bit of an advocate of that. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I think you can, get, you can get too carried away with it. I yeah. Think. Um, and if you, if you are counting, then you're – and if you're going to a goal for weight loss or something else, then you you, you tend to fail more if you if you're being really strict and just eating stuff that you don't like. I think if you just got to eat, your body knows, and and you just got to eat when you're hungry and just eat properly, as you said, and not processed, and just be smart about it. Mm, yep, yep, yep. Good stuff. So I must admit, I've actually been lucky enough to sit in the jump seat a few times over the years, um, which for our listeners um, who are not familiar with this term, it's an extra seat in the cockpit, which is sometimes made available to airline staff at the discretion of the captain when there's um, available seats left in the the cabin, um, which I must admit has come in very handy over the years. I can imagine, (laughs) yes. Lots of staff travellers. Yeah. yeah, you know, and when you know those peak periods when all of the flights are full. So um, yeah, it's been it's been fantastic. But what I I have realised, and, and I think you touched on it before, there's definitely not much room in that cockpit. So no, do you no. you know do you often get up and stretch and walk around just to keep the circulation moving? Because um, yeah, we used seven four seven was a hell of a lot better. There was quite a lot of room in the seven four seven. In oh, fact, yeah, we had, the big we had ones. yeah mm. we had our own toilet in the flight deck, so you can get up and go to the toilet and do what you want. It was you, you could swing a cat around in the seven four seven quite easily. <laughs> Whereas seven three, as you're alluding to, is really quite cramped. So, um, it really is hard to get up and move. The seats do lay back, and you can wind our rudder pedals forward a bit, so I can stretch around. Um, on longer flights, over, I basically, I basically can't hold my bladder longer than two hours anyway. So I've got to go. <laughs> I've got to get up and go to the toilet. So. Um, 
yeah, so that's that sort of gets the blood flowing a little bit. But yeah, it's, there's not a lot of room to to move around. So you don't have any like, exercises like are you like are you moving your feet up and down or anything like that in particular? No. Not really. No. Oh, you know what? I do move around a lot. It's probably a subconscious thing, but I do find myself stretching my legs, uh, rolling my ankles around. Yeah. Um, but as far as having a planned exercise routine, no, I don't, and it, it is quite cramped. So mm. luckily enough, we're, we're only really doing um, two-hour flights most oh, of, of the time, 80, yeah. 80% of the time. So yeah. once we do land, I do like to get up and walk around, go for a walk, go do the walk around. One of us has to walk around the plane on the outside to make sure that everything's in place anyway. So if the captain's not doing that, then I'll do that. But if they're doing it, I will get up and walk outside and 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 um, sit down at the last possible minute before um, passengers back. come back on. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you just get too stiff and sore. Mm. Very good. Fascinating. So I'm going to redirect our um, discussion now and talk more about your other passion, which, of course, is cycling. Yay. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have to say, I've seen some of your posts that you put on Facebook where you are riding up these ridiculously <laughs> steep hills. And yeah. I honestly get exhausted just looking at them. So how did you get into this sport? Oh, cycling, for me, um, I've always been a bit of a sports person and uh, about 10 years ago, I, I tore the ligaments in my ankle and broke my foot playing tennis. And um, as part of the rehabilitation, the physio said, take up cycling because it's no impact and it's great rotation on your ankle um, and running was no good. Um, so I did take up cycling and, and I guess I kind of got hooked straight away. Um, I wasn't racing initially, probably about six years of just riding around. Um, before I realised the other benefits of cycling, um, and in particular mental health mm. part of it, getting out, getting the fresh air, mm. leaving your worries behind and just mm. enjoying the scenery. Um, and then we moved from Sydney to Brisbane and, and we didn't really know too many people in Brisbane at the time, so I thought it would be a good idea to join a cycling club to okay. meet yep. new people and mm-hmm. And start racing and then kind of went from there. Oh, and you've become addicted. And I was. Because <laughs> you're not just this person like just cruises around the streets. You are seriously competitive now. Like you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like how long, like how long <clears throat> some of the, are some of these races? Um, well, in the National Road Series, there's, um, it's generally a three-day tour with four stages so we'll do four races in three days um and and we do we tour around australia pretty much we've just done i'm not racing nrs anymore i've decided it's um it's too much um time for me to be to be valuable for my teammates so i've pulled out of the the nrs um Mm -hmm. but the team has just competed in adelaide and then um tasmania is coming up we do gold coast we do canberra we do uh, Ballarat, so we, we do um, travel around a bit and do these four, three or four day um, tours, of which there's um, the stages might involve a 120k road race with lots of climbing in, around the hills of Canberra and then another 100k the next oh. day and then a, a time trial in a criterium on, on another day. So yeah, it does get quite tiring and recovery is, is a real key um, to those races. Yeah. Um, 
but that's probably the toughest, the multi-day stuff. Um, any, any of the other one-day races, I can pretty well cope with, not too bad. Mm. Oh, I can't imagine. I, a couple of years ago, uh, my husband and I went for a, like a five-day cycle tour through France. And oh, yeah. It was a self-guided one where oh, we had yeah. to kind of – we had maps attached to our bike and, you know, I was a navigator because my husband's hopeless at navigating. <laughs> just, just putting it out there. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was for five days and it was about average you know, about 50 kilometres a day. And I, I swear, it nearly killed me. <laughs> it, was, it was so yeah. hard. But but, I mean, I'm not yeah, – yeah, I'm one of these people that does just cruise around the streets. I'm not a yeah. cyclist at all. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so much fun. And and we, we do still talk about it today. Like, it was just one of the most enjoyable experiences we ever had, even regardless of, yes, there was an occasional hill which would yeah. be designated by – because we had these map notes and there would be, like, a triangle. So if there was a triangle coming up, you knew that you, there was a hill. You knew and, you were on the way up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. and But if there was, like, two or three triangles – we knew that we were in some serious trouble. <laughs> so it'd be like, oh my God, I just want a, a zero triangle day. You know, not a, not a, not a, even just a one triangle. But um, yeah, I mean, it was so much fun, but I just can't comprehend the, yeah, the amount of um, the distance that you guys do, the hills that you do. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, admire it. And it, it, you just made a really good point. It's for, um, yeah, our overall, like I said, it's a fantastic physical fitness, but it's yeah. also a great mental phys, um, fitness. It's like most exercises. It Absolutely. It clears the head and. Um, yeah. I guess, I guess that's, that still keeps me involved in it. I, I really like getting out and, um, forgetting the stresses of the day going out and, and, um, might sound a little bit weird, but I actually like hurting myself on the bike. I, I like going feeling the pain that I can give myself and, and trying to overcome that mentally. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a slight addiction and and, um, and that way I know that I can pretty well cope with anything if I can go out and and overcome four hours on the bike in, um, in extreme pain basically, mm. but block that out mm. and um, – and you realise that your body can cope with so much more than what your brain lets it do. Mm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What's going, the little mental chatter going up between the ears. Yeah. Is, yeah. controls yeah. us a lot, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Well, so what would be your key piece of advice that you could recommend to our listeners on staying fit and healthy whilst, you know, working 24-7? Because you've obviously managed to do it. Yeah. Um, I. You know what? We alluded to it before, but napping. I, I actually ah. sleep during the day. Yeah. Um, and and I think if you're tired and if you don't have anything on, laying down for 20, 30 minutes is, is a fantastic way to recharge. And I do it quite a lot. Um, after work, uh, in between rides, I'll, I'll have a little bit of a sleep and um, there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't have a sleep <laughs> during the day. And, and, and um <laughs> Generally, I find that that gets me through, especially when you're not working regular hours like office people. I mean, you, you can't – I don't often get a good night's sleep at night time um, with the kids. So once um, – if the house is quiet and there's no one around, and I might lay down for an hour or so. So mm. I think that's a, that's a key. The other thing is if you're really into your fitness um, is to make sure you do eat properly after – you exercise. I think getting protein into the body and, and getting your muscle recovery 
um, also helps with the way you um, control fatigue at work too. Um, mm. And recovery is, is not really spoken about too much, but it's just as important as, as the exercise. You really need to, on days, you can't exercise seven days a week, so don't try. Mm. You need a recovery day, um, even if it's for me. I'll go for a ride, but it's it's my heart rate's at ninety beats a minute, so I'm I'm really down in the low range, and it just gets the blood flowing. We call it recovery rides, but I mean, if you're a runner, one day go for a walk, or or oh, don't, okay. don't do yoga, or do something that's not going to get um, as as physical as as a full on training session. So, yeah, recover, eat proper protein after an exercise, and Sleep when you're tired, I think, is pretty much the key for being a, an athlete and uh, being a shift worker. Listen to your body, basically. Mm. That's brilliant advice. Yeah, I love, I love that. That's just having a nice little balance of, of everything, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, particularly the napping. I'm all for napping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're tired, you're tired, you know. And yeah, you, and you, that's and it. If you are in the position to be able to have one, then, oh, yeah, absolutely go for it, I say. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's, um, yeah, I've learned heaps. Thank you. Completely side, tr- a bit of a side kind of a question. I'm going to come out here, though, with you. <laughs> What's been one of the funniest and memorable moments you've had throughout your aviation? career i mean you could probably write a book no doubt yeah but just a lot if you of could pick a... alcohol so let's not go repress probably best not go that way you know no these are overnights not part of flying <laughs> um there, yeah there has been a few i have had a bit of a chuckle um there are a couple of female pilots in brisbane and we do have a female engineer and i, I there was one time when was, it was all female crew and female engineer and we're all standing up, up the front and the passengers were looking at us like, oh, what the hell's going on? You know, <laughs> should, I, should I get off now? And um, <laughs> it's quite funny looking at people uh, walking on, especially some of the older school guys that, that didn't realise that females could actually fly. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we have had quiet chuckles. So there's one guy that's gotten off and said he was trying to be polite, but the way he said it, he said, um, oh, isn't it good how Qantas let you girls fly? <gasps> I thought, oh, uh, oh, oh yeah, goodness. it is good. Yeah, isn't it good we're allowed to vote as well? You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and oh. smiling, and it was, you know, it was hard not to get offended, but we were laughing yeah. at the same time. We had a chuckle. Yeah, I'm so, sure that you had a soft landing. Uh, it's always perfect. <laughs> the girls touch yeah Yeah. i love it that's fantastic oh well thank you so much jess for for being on with us today i've I've, really enjoyed it and i've learned heaps and um i'm sure our listeners have learned a lot as well and just to get a little bit of a bird's eye view i guess pardon the pun yeah yeah of of a um pilot's perspective of you know how to cope in this crazy kind of shift working world that we um, work in so yeah so thank you so very much you're welcome it's been a pleasure (laughs) great okay so that's it for today's edition of the healthy shift worker podcast i'd love to hear your feedback and there are many ways you can do this via my facebook page the healthy shift worker through my website healthyshiftworker.com or you can visit the wellness couch at thewellnesscouch.com and leave a comment there
If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit. And you can also leave us a five-star rating in the iTunes store, which will help me to spread the healthy shift worker message to shift workers and organisations all around the world. If you'd like access to more free resources, including my newsletter, just visit my website, healthyshiftworker.com, and enter your name and email address. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. And until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be, despite working 24-7. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.